I forgot to mention we do have a sign-up sheet for the movie night thing. It helps us get a count of heads for uh, feeding the group. So if you would sign up, that would be a help and a blessing. This morning we're in Genesis chapter 6. We're looking at verses 1 through 8. A very, very provocative passage. uh, One that has been known to tickle the ears of its hearers, <laughs> and uh, we'll get into it. We're just going to jump into it. But in chapter 5, we have Enoch, a man who walked with God, and he's translated by God into heaven. This is nothing more than a type of the rapture of the church, God simply taking Enoch away. In the little one-chapter book of Jude, we read that Enoch was a prophet. Enoch declared that Jesus would return with ten thousands of his saints. And and ten thousand is a biblical way of saying innumerable. So Jesus will return with his saints. Enoch was taken, raptured. Then judgment came upon the whole world via the flood. Today, we saints, we will be raptured in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, and then judgment will come upon this world. God will pour out his wrath upon this whole world through the great tribulation. And as believers, as fellow Christians, we should never be shy about declaring the imminent return, the soon return of Jesus and the rapture of his church. People that we know, people around the world need to hear the truth about what God's plan is for this world Give them the truth and then let them decide what they're going to do with it. That's not our call. We're to throw out the truth. We're to be that good witness and then let God work on their heart. Enoch declared Jesus' return. And we should also speak of this great hope to a fallen world. Today we have violence, we have unrest throughout the world. Just look at the headlines for the past week. People around us are troubled. They're worried. The great hope for this world is the return of Jesus Christ to set up his kingdom. And that should be part of a believer's everyday conversation. People need to hear the truth, they need the hope that Jesus will bring this world. And the rapture of his church, again, it could happen at any moment. Enoch had a son named Methuselah, and his name means when he is dead. What a thing to name your child. When he is dead, come here. No. (laughs) It's possible that Adam's son Seth 
knew Noah. Noah would have been 14 years old when Seth died if all the genealogies and there's no missing links are in there. So from Seth to Noah, and Seth is Adam's son, so long years were given to the early uh, people. But let's move into chapter 6 of Genesis, verses 1 through 8. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his hearts was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things, birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Verse 8, great verse. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Mankind, from the very outset, from the day he was created, has had the attention of Satan. Because man was created to bring pleasure to God and to have fellowship with God. And thus you have Satan, the arch enemy of God, attacking mankind if for no other reason that God loves us and we are the apple of his eye. That alone gives Satan reason to hate us and come against us. God loves man, therefore Satan hates man. And this scenario has been played out throughout the history of mankind from the time we were created. From the time Satan was in the garden, tempting Eve to sin, trying to separate man from God, to break that fellowship. And we see God time and again making provisions for us to have fellowship with himself. Even to the point where God did not spare his own son, Jesus went to the cross of Calvary so that we could have salvation and so we could have fellowship with him. The cross of Christ completely trumps all of Satan's plots and plans to separate us from God. So way back in man's early history, we see the efforts of Satan to pollute or destroy the lineage of man. Satan and his demons attempting to destroy the human race as we know it. Or pollute and destroy our gene pool. 
Satan was there in the garden tempting Adam and Eve to sin. Now in chapter 6, we have Satan attempting to alter the DNA of the human race. And it's just, you know, in a few verses that we read about this. And he's attempting to do it by introducing demon spirits into the human lineage. His method it's to have demons in a Mary with daughters of men. And the term sons of God there in verse 2 is simply identifying these demons as to who they are, their evil angels. Sons of God is a term that is used three times in the Old Testament. And they're all used in Job. Job 1.6, Job 2.1, and Job 38.7. And it refers to the sons of God as demonic creatures. The Septuagint, the earliest translation of the scriptures, refers to the sons of God as angels. So the offspring of these evil angels and these beautiful daughters of men oftentimes would be giants or men of renown. And again, this is nothing more than Satan attempting to alter and change the human race. And God has a reaction to this, to this diabolical spiritual incest, and we'll get into this shortly. But in the little book of Jude, we read, of this demonic activity. Jude verse 6 says, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own habitation, he, speaking of God, reserved in everlasting change under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So God placed these angels in captivity, in chains, and they await their final judgment. And their final judgment is the abyss, the lake of fire that God has made for Satan and his demons. Now, God is all-powerful. And he limits the activity of demons. He even imprisons some of these demons. Showing his strength, showing his authority over all of the created world. Back to the spiritual incest of these evil angel and women. First we have to understand that angels, whenever they're mentioned in scripture, are always male. You never hear of a female angel. And somehow we, in our world, in our understanding of words, we've managed to twist that around, and now we can often refer to women as angels. She is beautiful as an angel. Translation, she's pretty as a boy. I, I won't take that any further. We'll stop right there. But anyone who looks into satanic worship, which goes on, it's rampant today, 
when they look upon the activities, soon discovered that in satanic worship, nudity prevails, sexual deviant behavior also abounds. And it all started back in Genesis chapter 6, where we have demonic sexual activity producing strange giant children. Again, this is nothing more than Satan's attempt to destroy the human gene pool and eventually destroy the seed of woman whom the Messiah is to come through. The Messiah is, of course, Jesus. He is the salvation of the world, and Satan is trying to stop that before it gets even started. These demons, they were put in chains, and they await judgment, and they're in chains today awaiting that judgment. But how about sinful mankind? Verse 4 of chapter 6. God says, My spirit shall not strive with man forever. That is a clear warning to mankind that we can take sin too far. <clears throat> mankind has the capacity to indulge in sin so much so to a point where God says, Okay, I give you over to yourself where he no longer contends or strives with a person to do right. He gives us over to ourselves if we sin to that point. It is possible to indulge in sin to a point where we call right wrong and wrong right. Our whole thinking is messed up. When a person or a group of people, for that matter, continue to sin, they can and sometimes do sever the very conscience that God has given us between right and wrong. Let me be up front with you here. I am definitely concerned for sinful America. Our God does not issue idle threats or warnings. And the warning that he will not always strive with man, I will not always contend with you, I will not always come after you because of your sinful nature. That should get any person's attention who ever reads Scripture. Jesus said, when asked about his return, when would he return? And one of the things he said was, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when I return. And we've just read what it was like in the days of Noah. Demons in America marrying with women, having sexual relationships, and having children. Well, how about some of the fascinations that we have today? Let's write a book and make a movie about, oh, say, a guy named Harry Potter. 
or let's cast witches in a good light, them doing good. Or let's promote the immortality of werewolves in how they appeal to these young girls. Do you see the parallels? We are every bit as evil today, in my humble opinion, as they were in the days of Noah. We exist, we hang on to God's grace for this period of time. All of Scripture points to Jesus' return. And today's world, in their fascination with demonic activity, is just one more sign of the return of Jesus. So what are believers to do? What is our course? First, I think we're to pray for our country. Pray for someone that you know who's caught into sin. God and God alone has the authority to say to any sinful society, any sinful person, okay, I'm through with you. You go your own way. I will not contend with you anymore. Now, as a young Christian, <laughs> quite a few years ago, <laughs> I was raised in a denomination where this verse was used as a sledgehammer. Okay? I heard over and over again at church how we could lose our salvation and no longer be a recipient of grace. The church leaders in my denomination, they were literally trying to scare the hell out of us. We were still rebellious. But the point here is, if your sin still bothers you, when you sin, if it bothers you and you grieve over it, that is a good sign because God is still striving with you. He's still contending with you. Our God is long-suffering, and I or no one else should ever attempt to put anyone under a guilt complex about sinning away their day of grace. I don't think we have that right. But I have to say to you, repentance is a good thing. And you've heard me say it before. We get to turn away from our evil ways and walk in the other direction. That's called repentance. Thank you, Lord, for repentance. I don't have to continue in a sinful path. We're allowed to turn from our sins. So today is the day of salvation. Today, take full advantage of repentance. Turn from your sins and enjoy the time of refreshing with your Lord. The second half of verse 4 is very interesting also. For we are flesh, and God declares our days, man's days, shall be 120 years. Now, you have to understand this verse. God is not setting man's lifespan time of 120 years. God is simply saying, in 120 years, 
I will destroy the world with a flood. So he's setting a time here. In 120 years, I'm going to destroy the world. God has looked down upon the evilness of demons and their activity with men, and it troubles God. Before, because we read that the entire, all, every intent of man and all that man can think about is evil. And man dwells on evil constantly. Have you ever been around someone that every thought or every word or every conversation they turn try to twist it around and make make it sound like you said something bad I call them dirty old men okay they will take anything you say and twist it into something deviant or sexual and I go oh come on give it a break man <laughs> let it go and I've met a few guys like that that is what has happened to the entire world in Noah's time all of humanity all they think about is how to do something new and creative that's evil. All of humanity, you could say, is twisted and perverted except for one. Except for one. And I've heard some estimates on the population of the world at right before the flood, and they said it was billions of people. And it could have been. I don't know. But there's one guy. And his name was Noah. Noah. But before we get into Noah, let's look at God's emotions at what he looks upon on this earth. The feelings of God come forth and he says, I'm sorry and it grieves me that I ever made man. Creation, mankind, as God has created it, is out of control. Is God surprised by the evil nature of man? No, not for a moment. But as God observes man in his rebellion, as all his thoughts and ways are nothing but sinful, it saddens the heart of God at what he sees. Does sin sadden your heart? I knew a young man years ago, and he was raised in a Christian home. This young man in his late teens discovered alcohol, and he began to drink heavily. And before he was even 20 years old, he was a full-blown alcoholic. He was a grief and a sorrow to his father. This young man, he was a violent drunk. When he drank, he loved to fight. And he had a hot rod car and he would drive it wildly and crazily. And one day, this young man was told by his father, he said, son, you're going to jail. It just hasn't happened yet. The young man, shortly thereafter, had his driver's license revoked 
by the state, too many DUIs, too many crashes, but this didn't stop him. One day on the freeway while driving drunk, he caused an accident, a wreck, and he was arrested on the spot and went straight to county jail. <laughs> but the father who loved this son, he wasn't surprised when his son was off to jail, but the father was deeply saddened by his son's behavior and he went to visit his son in jail and the son confessed to the father, Dad, I've only got one problem and it's drinking. The father had a reply to that and I like this reply. And he said, son, your problem is not drinking. Your problem is sin and rebellion. Because if you were stopped drinking today, sin would find another avenue in your heart and you would be doing something else and you would be in the same condition. And you may ask me, well, how do I know so much about these details? It was my son. It was my son. Now, I'm happy to report that he has rededicated his life to the Lord, and he's been sober now for about 15 to 20 years, and his life is a good, decent life. But I tell you this to point out. I, an earthly father, felt sorrow and grief for my son and his behavior, even though I loved him. God felt sorrow and grief for mankind, his creation. Now, I'm grateful that my son never injured anyone while he was doing his drunk driving thing. But as his father, I understood some of the pain that my heavenly father feels when we, his children, rebel against him and sin against him. Maybe you have felt that grief. Or maybe you're caught up in sin and you're causing someone else to grieve. Let me urge each and every one of us, take a look at Noah. Out of the entire world, population, millions of people, only one man was found to find grace in the eyes of the Lord. To find grace, you have to be looking for grace. Grace doesn't just pop up on you. You've got to realize it's got to come to your attention that you need grace. Have you realized your propensity to sin? Yeah, I have. Then if you've realized your propensity to sin, you have realized your need of grace. Noah found grace. And this one man discovering or finding grace saved all of mankind. Think of that. One man found grace, all the human race was preserved.
All the animal life was preserved by Noah finding grace. What is grace? God's unmerited favor. That's all grace is. Thank you, Lord, for grace. Let me get you to stand with closing prayer. First off, Lord, we want to thank you for being full of grace. Thank you, Lord, that you not only give us second chances, you give us third, fourth, fifth, on and on and on. Your grace comes to us. And Lord, we want to be a people who welcome your grace. We want to receive your grace. We want to relish in your grace, Lord. And we want to live a life that is an example of your grace. So thank you, Lord, for giving us grace and putting a heart in us, Lord, that understands and sees our need of grace, that unmerited favor from you. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. Thank you for calling us your children, and thank you for grace. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.